we've been following the theme of Advent throughout the series, primarily, however, focusing on hope. Now, Advent, you know, is not in the scriptures in terms of it's not, you're going to find the word in the Bible, all right? Advent really just means coming in anticipation. It's the, all that's written and talked about in terms of the coming of Christ uh, in terms of Christmas. And so the Advent season, the Christmas season, is what we are kind of honoring and talking about. And we've been sharing resources with you online about hope and joy and love and peace. And I think peace kicks off today. And, uh, and that's just a bit a part of this. Hopefully you've been engaging in some of that. But the first week we talked about the hope that's promised. And we talked about all the prophecies that were, that were being fulfilled in order to see Christ uh, come and, and fulfill some of those promises. And it, honestly, the thing I like about the hope promise is that it's what unites Christians across the world. It's what unites Christians across generation upon generation and centuries past because we are all followers of Christ still having a hope promised in us of how he's going to continue to fulfill his promises. And so that's what unites us. It's really cool. This is one of the verses we ended with, though. Uh, when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son. This is Paul reflecting on the fact that, you know, you know, for us, timing is an issue. For God, timing is never an issue. But, but, but pieces were in place. And when the pieces were, so to speak, in place, God sent his son. And last week, we talked about hope delivered, right? Not just that hope was delivered in the baby Jesus. Like, we read a little bit about that account of, you know, going to the manger and, you know, there's no room for them in the inn and that kind of thing. It, it's not just that a baby was delivered, but that there was something that came that Jesus brought. He delivered something uh, to us. And the hope that was delivered is something and someone we can have confidence in and on. It was a solution that we could trust. It was a source that, that would sustain us, right? I love this verse from last week. This is one of my favorites from Matthew's retelling the, the part of Isaiah's prophecy that says that in his name, the nations will place their hope, that in his name, and so many things have been done in the names of countries and kings and emperors and so on and so on, but it's in Jesus' name that we were going to see something actually happen. It was in Jesus' name that the nations, all the nations, were going to place their hope. In his name, hope was not just promised, but hope was here because of what Jesus was doing. And then I told you that we were going to talk more about this theme this week is that hope remains, that there is a hope that remains because of Jesus. But in order to do that, it is, it is impossible to do, especially at this time of year, if we do not address what seems to be the rising, the rising tide of hopelessness in our world, of hopelessness in our culture. And it doesn't matter what direction you want to look at it from. It could be political. It could be financial. It could be world powers. It could be wars. It could be uh, Christian persecution. It could be anything. It could be just your own life. Um, there is a rising sense in our world today of more hopelessness um, than we've seen before. And, and part of that just goes back to a little bit of our perspective, which we're going to talk about today. But there is a dichotomy in the Christian faith in which we cannot lose our understanding or even the embracing of what hopelessness and why it exists in order for us to understand why hope remains and why this is now the message we carry. And it is hard. It's, I'm just telling you ahead of time. It's hard to get through this. Let me give you a perfect example of it in light of even just, just the Christmas story, where part of it's the part we read all the time, and other part's just not the one you read uh, Christmas morning with your children. All right, but this is still part of our Christmas story and a part of our faith. Here is uh, this is going to go to Luke two. This is um, 
Uh, again, we have part of it we read last week. Joseph was a descendant of King David. He went to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he goes on to say, he took with him Mary to, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And it says that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance, okay, just think of this, the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified, right? But the angel assured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, right? The armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Now, you guys may remember, this is the Charlie Brown moment, right? This is, this is Linus sharing the real hope and the joy behind it. But I just want you to think in a minute, just put your, try to put yourself there in terms of the radiance of God's glory shining about this hillside. Uh, I mean, honestly, one of the things I love to do, and I think I've shared this with you before, is I watch a lot of movies and things at, during Christmas. Not, I like all the fun stuff, Elf and all the other stuff. I like that. But I love the nativity story. I love watching the Bible series. I love watching uh, depictions of, you know, the birth of Jesus in different ways. And, and a lot of times, you know, Hollywood and people who make movies, they've been trying to help get it right. They've been trying to help bring about this sort of glory and radiance, but it just all seems to fall flat. I mean, this is one I pulled up uh, not that long ago where an angel shows up in the nativity. It's the huge angel again, the mountain. This is just a normal sized angel. They don't look too terrified actually. Um, and he looks a little too hipster to be Jesus. But anyway, uh, you know, this is, but then they try to show what would it be like for a host of angels to, to show up or a vast uh, host. And this is a kind of a cool picture. I always kind of like this, this particular one in terms of coming out of, of heaven. But honestly, this feels a little bit more like, um, this feels a little bit more like like pictures of the Grand Canyon versus standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. Now, again, now I, would, I, I, could, I can say this honestly. This is the, the birth of the Savior. This is this majestic moment. The birth of the Savior, the Messiah, has come. And I, and I have a hard time imagining it, but I'm telling you what I imagine it to be is so much more than what people can visually give me, right? It's so much more than what people can visually give me. I mean, and, I, and this has only been since 2016 where I actually got to go to the Grand Canyon for the first time. And I'm telling you, every picture, every picture I took fails to compare to what it feels like, the awe of standing at the Grand Canyon. But the dichotomy in our, in our faith comes as well with this part of the story that we simply can't ignore. That at the same window of time, after they'd heard the king this is the three wise men, or, you know, they said we say three, but it was just the, 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 the magi. They went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose uh, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. They were going to see the child. They talked to King Herod. Um, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed, right? Because they'd been looking for 
this promise, this hope promise. On coming to the house, they saw the child with Mother Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him as the king. Then they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, because Herod wanted them to return and say, hey, you guys, I want to pay respects to this king too. Tell me where he is. They'd been warned in a dream not to go back, so they returned to their country by another route. They returned to their country a different way. And when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for this child to kill him. So he got up and took, a, took the child and his mother t- uh, during the night, basically fled in the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so this now fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. But when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. That what was said throughout the that what that then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was then fulfilled when Jeremiah said, "A voice is heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children." And refusing to be comforted because there are no more. This is another one of those moments that happens in the same window of history as the birth of a savior is the slaughtering of these babies, the killing of these children. I tried to find, there's a famous um, artwork done by uh, Peter Paul Rubens. This is in the 1600s. I had to kind of desensitize it a little bit. There was, I, I don't know how much blood is appropriate for Sunday morning, right? So I, I kind of black and whited it for you. But here's, here's a, a picture of, of what that could have looked like. And again, fails to do justice to what actually happened. Even the picture does. Because I don't think you and I can honestly even imagine the reality of soldiers coming in and killing and slaughtering children before our very eyes. And yet, again, going to the next line, this is what our faith tends to look like in this world. That there are two realities at work. There are two things happening. And they seem like they, don't, they shouldn't go together. They seem like they shouldn't be a part of the same story. And yet they are a part of the same story. This is the same story. Like, like, like it's hard to express the understanding of hope if you don't have an understanding of hopelessness, if you don't understand the depths to which sin and evil exist and have always existed and coexist now even within our faith, even within, in, in the understanding of the hope that remains because of who Jesus is and what he did for us. Here's how John, let me just share John's description. John, the apostle John, right, the, the disciple, he, he writes his uh, gospel much later on, and he decides not to share kind of the storybook narrative of the birth of Jesus. Like, you know, Matthew did it for people. Luke did it as a research for someone. Like, he decides not to share this sort of storybook 
version. He decides to share this like epic poem, you know, big thematic vision of what was going on, like the cosmic universe in terms of what was happening. And this is just how John describes what was actually going to happen at the birth of Jesus. He says this in John 1, that in the beginning, the word, he's speaking specifically about Jesus, already existed. And the word was with God and the word was God. And he existed in the beginning with God. And he created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And it says, but the word gave life to everything that was created, and the word gave life to everything, and his life brought light to everyone. That Jesus coming was going to bring light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. That there was this picture of, of, of the word of God that existed and was going to come to earth and was going to come to us. The promise, remember we read the promise scriptures, Emmanuel, God with us, and how big of a deal that was for the Jewish people. Understanding the, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting for this to happen, for God to finally show up and to be here and John basically says the same thing. Look, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen within the context of the fact that darkness exists. And light and life also have existed since the beginning of time. And it's going to happen and it's going to pierce through the darkness. And the darkness can't extinguish it. Like it can't do anything about it. It can't, it can't mute it out but they're going to exist and that you can't have sort of one without the other. And it's not, let me just hear, tell you, this is not kind of the Eastern religious yin and yang idea that, that they somehow coexist and there's always good and evil and they have to balance each other out. And I mean, there's been lots of art and history and, and uh, stories written from that perspective. But when we see what the word of God says, it, it, it helps us understand our faith better. That, that darkness exists, and yet because darkness exists, when Jesus came, the light and the life that has always existed since creation pierced through that darkness. This is what hope means, right? Even in Jesus' life, you have the resurrection and the crucifixion, right? It's the resurrection that gives the crucifixion it's meaning. There have been hundreds upon thousands of people crucified by Romans. Only one resurrected, right? So the resurrection, you can't have one without the other, so to speak, in terms of how God chose to bring hope into this world. You couldn't defeat hell, death, and the grave without defeating hell, death, and the grave through the crucifixion of Christ. And not since the days of the beginning, not since Adam and Eve in paradise, have we been able to have anything void of that darkness, void of sin. And not again until we receive the hope that's promised to us, whether that's eternal life with, with him in heaven or whether that we live to see the end times, we live to see, you know, the new heaven and earth that's coming. But until then, we have a new heaven and earth promise. We have a new heaven and earth that we are tied to. Our existence is tied to an eternal reality. And yet we still have to deal with a broken and sinful world. Right? Everybody with me? And yet, just think about this. Just think about how many Christians struggle, continually struggle 
with their faith, with all the things that they've heard pastors say and teachers say and churches say about faith and God and so forth and so on, and they can't seem to reconcile, well, why do bad things still happen to good people? Why do, you know, why would he allow these children and helpless people in third world countries to starve? Like starving to death feels like the most inhumane possible thing anybody could allow to happen. How could God let that happen? Or maybe it's more personal with people you've talked to that they just, they can't seem to get past the, the injustice or the suffering that they have personally experienced. That they themselves have, have just, they can't reconcile why God didn't intervene. Why didn't God stop this? Or why did God stop it for one but didn't stop it for another? And yet, I'm, guys, I'm just telling you, the embracing of understanding these, this dichotomy is what makes our faith, it's what makes hope, hope. It's, it's why hope remains. It's why we, as followers of Christ, have a message to share with the world. Is understanding, and not just embracing the two things, but understanding how they work together. This is how Jesus, again, said it to some of his disciples. The disciples, this is closer to the end of his life. And he was trying to help even the disciples get a picture of this. Here's what he says in John 16. He says, a little while you won't see me anymore. But a little while after that, you'll see me again. And some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me again, and I'm going to the Father? I mean, you can just imagine the disciples going like, what in the world? Why has he always got to be so difficult? Like, why has he always got to talk in these weird phrases? What does he mean by a little while? We We don't get it. We don't understand. When's the kingdom coming? That's all they're waiting on. Jesus realized they wanted to ask about this, so he said, Hey, are you asking yourselves what I meant by that? Where I said a little while, you won't see me, but a little while again after, you'll, you'll see me again. And he says, I, tells you, I tell you the truth, you're going to weep and mourn for what's going to happen to me. And the world will rejoice. You're going to grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. And, and to help paint that picture, he says, look, it's like a woman suffering in the pains of labor. Right? It's, it's like her suffering. When, she, when the child is born, her anguish, it's not that the pain didn't matter, all ladies, right? It's not that the pain didn't matter or the anguish, or whatever, but it gives way to joy because she's brought a new baby into the world. So, if you have sur- so you will have sorrow now, but I'll see you again. And then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. So he goes on a little bit later on. I'm skipping down to verse 33 because, again, he's trying to help. He's just trying to help. When you, when you see him always trying to help the disciples, just take it personally. He's trying to help us. He's trying to help us dim-witted, dumb humans, right, who, who are stuck in this, this, in this finite brain. He's trying to help us. So he says, look, I've told you these things so that in me you're going to have peace. Right? Not in anything else, but in me, you'll have this peace. <laughs> in this world, just read it out loud with me, these words. In this world, what? You will have trouble. Okay, just let's just say it like we 
like we see it on the screen. All right, let's read it out loud. In this world, what? You will have trouble. Right? Jesus is making it as clear as he can. Not that you might have trouble, not that you could have trouble, not that trouble's a, a spectrum, not that these things might, might or might not happen. There's no nice or naughty list that depends on the trouble, right? You will have it. And I love that phrase where he says, but take heart. This is hope. Take heart. Have hope. Hope remains because I've overcome the world. That's why hope remains. But it doesn't stop trouble from coming. Everybody with me? What's coming? Say it out loud. Trouble. What remains? Trouble. What's coming? Trouble. What remains? Trouble. Yeah, you can't get away from it. That's the reality of our faith. Trouble is coming, but hope remains. And listen, trouble is... Trouble is, this is where it does get into perspective. It does get into our realities. It does get into kind of culturally how we get to sensitize to certain things. I'll read a few things to you that, that were, I believe God gave me, but you know, some of it's a little bit extreme, but let me just share with you a couple things. There's a New York Times article, I'm going to quote here in a minute, that there's an online community called the Kelutrol. It was highlighted last fall on an HBO documentary about John Wilson. Um, they're bracing for the next installment of Avatar, right? This new movie that just came out this weekend, Avatar, The Way of Water. And they're wondering how many people are going to be triggered into what a psychiatrist has termed, this is one of their member psychiatrists, who has termed post-Avatar depression, okay? After seeing and experiencing the symbiotic tranquility of the Navi living on Pandora compared to the restrictive and dulled experiences of mankind on earth. Now, I, I, I've told this to, to, to two or three different people that this is one of my examples this week, and everybody has the same, same thought. You're making this up, <laughs> right? You're making this up. Why? Because it's fiction. Because it's fiction, because it's not real, because it's, I mean, they just go down the list. Your brain can't possibly imagine that people are truly dealing with sorrow or depression because of fiction. But there is a group of people that literally are. As ridiculous, and I'll share it with you, as ridiculous as that sounds, from their perspective, from where they are, there's something very real about seeing that paradise and comparing it to the to whatever they're feeling, and the hopelessness, maybe, of their own lives. And the problem, the problem I have with it, obviously, is the fact that I know a lot of people have tried to, 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 to sort of make depression more common. There's been a lot of pushing to make mental health issues, um, you know, more about, you know, more upfront and more into the culture. And I, and I listen, there's a lot of, about that that I appreciate. Okay, but the problem that does also come hand in hand with that is that if everyone is depressed, then no one is depressed, right? If everyone is depressed by something, then no one is depressed. And we lose sight and we are desensitized to the actual depression or the mental illness or the anguish that people might be going on to. And even in a season of thanksgiving and a season of joy, people can be going through their darkest times. There's a lot of 
public uh, grieving and sharing of um, Stephen Boss, who, who's known as Twitch in Hollywood. Uh, he worked on a couple different TV shows and just well-known, well-loved guy who took his life. He's 40 years old, took his life, right, just last week. And so many, you know, one of the refrains I kept hearing over and over and over again as celebrities and famous people were like sharing publicly like how they knew him and what they, what I kept hearing was that this, this guy actually brought life and joy to others. Like he was actually someone who brought life and joy to other people. And yet secretly, probably in more isolation than they realized, was battling his own darkness and his own demons and his own hopelessness. And that's a sad reality because it's a very common thing. It's a very common thing even among people who claim to be followers of Christ. Because they don't think that they should, they, you know, it's, it's, there's a barrier with faith to make them think that they can't share that they struggle. They can't share their depression. They can't share their mental trauma. They can't share their experiences in the past or their circumstances that are causing some of the anxiety they're feeling. They can't share that. And so therefore they do it in isolation. They do it alone right? They won't go to therapy. They won't go get counseling. And it just deteriorates their life. That's what hopelessness does. And yet we're the followers of Jesus. We have a message that hope remains. We're supposed to be living that out. We're supposed to be sharing that, shouting it from the rooftops. There's still, I mean, again, we haven't even talked about global stuff. Like there's public executions happening government deemed public executions happening right now this month in iran there's there's still flogging and persecution and things happening to believers all across the world and again we get a little desensitized to it because again we we just have a hard time we have we have to try to compartmentalize our minds i get it but we have got to embrace this understanding of our faith because this is what jesus told us to prepare for to be prepared for. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, and I love this verse. Therefore, that we who have fled to him for refuge, why do you need refuge? Right? When do you need refuge? When trouble comes. <laughs> you, that's why you need refuge. He says, for those of us who have fled to him for refuge, we get to have this confidence. Remember that word we've been seeing the last few weeks? That confidence, that absolute hope that we hold on to that lies before us. This hope, this absolute hope, this confident hope is strong and trustworthy. It's an anchor for our souls. What a beautiful picture of an anchor that keeps that ship from the waves that toss it about to and fro to keep it in place. That's what the hope that we have in Jesus does for us as followers of Christ, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of trouble, it, it, it's an anchor for us. And as I was thinking about the themes of, of Advent, I mean, it just kind of kept coming to mind. I was like, this is our life. This is what a Christian is. Trouble's coming, but hope remains, right? We can't not have trouble because trouble's coming because Jesus said it. If anybody wants to believe anything, believe what Jesus said, Right? Look at heartache is coming in some way, shape, and form in your life. There's going to be betrayal. There's going to be friendships. There's going to be relationships. There's going to be heartache that comes in your life, but love remains. Everything that you want, everything your heart desires comes from Jesus. Sorrow, sickness, 
death, disease, pain is coming. But joy remains. Why? Because joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Joy doesn't come from our happiness. It's not the same thing. Joy remains because of who Christ is, what he has done, and what he's going to continue to do. And sure, fear's coming, worry's coming, anxiety's coming, you know, uncertainty's coming, insecurity's coming, but peace remains. The peace that passes all understanding. This hope that remains is an unshakable, immovable mountain that we cling to, we hold on to. I'm going to read, reread the last two weeks' closing verses as I get ready to introduce the closing verse for this week, just to help see you tie this together in terms of, again, why we felt so convinced that this is the season to talk about absolute hope. This is from Romans 5, our week one. He says, you can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Why? Because we know that they help us develop endurance. And the endurance develops our strength of character, and our character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, our absolute hope in Christ. This hope will not lead to disappointment. There's a lot of things, guys, that, that we're going to feel tempted constantly to put our hope and trust in. They're going to disappoint you. We know how dearly God loves us because he gave us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love because of the work of Christ on the cross. We read that last week. Keep going. This is Romans 15. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, this unlimited source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. In the nations, they put their trust, their hope. Then you'll find, you'll find yourself overflowing with confident hope, absolute hope, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the lives of believers, in the lives of those who call themselves Christians, that allows us to be able to be the message that hope remains. And then today I want to read this from Hebrews let us hold unswervingly. Love that word, right? Think about that anchor. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us not consider how, or let us consider how we spur one another on towards love and good deeds and give, not, not giving up our meeting together, but some, as some people are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, as it gets closer to the end, as it continues to feel more hopeless, spur one another on, don't neglect meeting together. Guys, you know one of the reasons we get together as the church, because this isn't church, you guys are the church, hopefully you, you've heard me say that enough, this isn't church, like, like you guys are the body of Christ, but one of the reasons the church gathers together is because we, it's needed, we have to spur one another on to remember that hope remains. It's too easy in the darkness of our world and the darkness of our lives to be overcome with darkness, and that's not the way God said it was supposed to work. It's supposed to work where we come together and oftentimes spur one another, encourage one another, share with one another, testify with one another that hope remains in our lives. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. It doesn't matter the heartache that comes. It doesn't matter the sorrow we're experiencing. Hope remains. It is an anchor for our souls. Even in our darkest times. I want to do something special today 
And hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll just embrace this next few minutes. Um, I want to challenge us to, to respond today to the message that we've been given. That this hope remains. This hope, this dichotomy in our faith, of this hope that remains, even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of the hopelessness of this world. We understand that hope remains. And, and there's a few different ways you can respond today. Okay, then I'm, I'm going to give you some options, but there's a few ways you can respond today. I'm going to ask um, um, Shin and uh, Courtney to come up, and they're going to sing a song. They're going to lead us in a song um, that's very, very unique. I'm going to read some lyrics to you, but that just, God just put on my heart for this week. They're going to sing a chorus and sing a song that God put on my heart this week that's about the hope that we have because of Jesus. And, and here's the way in which you can respond today. Number one, this reminder that hope remains, it, it might be for you. Okay, I don't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're personally dealing with, and I don't know, I don't know how many times recently you've wept and hit something and lashed out emotionally. I don't know how many times you've struggled to pray because of what, the, what you were feeling. You need to be reminded today that hope remains because of Jesus. And we're going to speak Jesus over you today. So you can sing along, you can sit, you can kneel, you can, I mean, I'm going to have everybody stand, but you, you do what you got to do, you know? L receive what's coming to you right now because it's for you. The second thing I want you to do is I, I think you need to share this today. I think you need to share this today. I'm, I'm going to give you a prompt, and I know this is kind of weird to say, but I want you to pull your phones out. I want you to actively engage in the moment, and I want you to respond in your own words with this statement, this Christmas, I have absolute hope because, and I want you to answer that for yourself. This Christmas, I have absolute hope because, and then fill in your own words. Tell others the absolute hope that you have. Just like Peter told us, always be ready to share the hope that we cling to. And I want you to do it today, okay? I know it seems weird to say do that with your phone and blah, 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 during a song and worship. It feels kind of like, eh, just do it, okay? Take, take the moment. If you have, I don't care the social media, I don't care, like just take the moment and do it. Share, I, look, this Christmas, I have absolute hope because Jesus wasn't just born a king. He's my king, right? Share whatever you want in your own words. You say, man, I don't have social media. Text a friend, right? Well, I don't have a phone. Write a letter when you get home. I don't care. I'm telling you, you don't know who God wants to put that, your statement in front of that won't just change their life, but might actually change the trajectory of their eternal existence. Because you shared about the absolute hope that you have. That's what we're called to do. And the third thing is also simple. I never take for granted that just because you're here, that you've experienced the hope of Jesus personally. 
just because you come to church, just because you know about God, and maybe you've known about God for years, I don't take for granted that you have ever crossed that line of faith, that you ever fully surrendered your life to him. And so today, instead of uh, a prayer and raising hands, and you know, I don't know if somehow some churches do it, but today I'm gonna have you stand and we're gonna sing in response with this chorus. But I'm gonna invite you just to come up to me today and just let me pray for you and pray with you. Make this Christmas the best Christmas it could possibly be for your life. If that's you, you've never experienced, you've never done it, see me. If, if I'm busy, Pastor Mike and some of our other pastors would be glad to, Pastor Nicole would be glad to pray with you. Just come forward. I know that feels a little scary, but that's what we're doing today. We're going to actively respond. Whatever that looks like for you, I'm just challenging you to do it, and then I'll come and pray and close us out. Let's stand together. And we're going to sing some words together. Just speak Jesus over our life. Let's just close in prayer together. God, we are so thankful. May we never speak the name of Jesus without something in our souls stirring by which your Holy Spirit is prompting us to recognize the power and authority that comes because of the hope that you gave us. And God, I'll admit, it is hard with the rising tide of hopelessness. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that our voice can make that big of a difference, that a post here or a, a shared thing here or a text here about the absolute hope this season that we're feeling in you. It's hard to imagine that it could really make a difference. And yet, God, I pray by your supernatural power that those messages, those posts, those texts, those conversations are going to land right in front of the people that need it to hear it. And that as followers of Christ, we spur one another on, and as messengers and heralds of the truth, we share the absolute hope to see other people's lives changed for eternity. Jesus, we're so thankful for your name. And we pray it in the holy and precious name. We all pray it together in your name, Jesus. Amen.